we do appreciate you being with us today. Um, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you visit us uh, down the road. And um, you can check with us about times and, and all of that. But uh, we have a good time together. And uh, our goal each time is to learn from God's Word. And that's what we're going to spend some time doing uh, this morning. I have noticed a trend in the last few years. And um, as a culture, it seems that we have become obsessed with words. Um, we go back to something somebody said 10, 20, 30 years ago, and we're putting it in a modern-day context, and we're making judgments based on that, and it's, it, it's getting a little crazy. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but, you know, Laurel Ingle Wilder's name was taken off of a children's award because of, some, because of the way she referred to Native Indians back in the, back in the 30s and 40s. And we took something that was said in the 30s and 40s and brought it into the 2018 and assumed that she should understand back then what we now look at now. And it's getting kind of crazy, and I, I, I think it's important from time to time that we stop and we ask ourselves to put words and sayings and things in a proper context. Uh, when I was in college, I was involved in a number of uh, Shakespeare plays, and one of the things that we were required to do is we were required to look at words that we didn't necessarily know or words that may have changed meaning over the year and go to the Oxford English Dictionary, which takes a word from the first time it was spoken and gives you the entire development of the word throughout different centuries and different periods of time. And our goal was to understand when, when that phrase or that word was spoken or written back in that time, what it actually meant so that we could convey that on stage. Um, I know one of the things that I run into is uh, I came to Sioux City in 1986 as a youth pastor at Billy Sunday Tabernacle. And uh, I'll never forget my first week there. Uh, I had been in the pastor. We had about four guys on staff there, and I had met with the pastor. was meeting with the pastor in and out of his office all week. And one day I walked out of the office, and the church secretary saw me there. And she said, can we talk for a few minutes? I said, sure. And it was my first week there. I was just getting my, my feet wet trying to figure stuff out. And she said, um, I don't know if you can help my son. She said, but he got himself in trouble. And um, I, don't, I would appreciate it if you could talk to him. His, her, his dad, her husband, was actually um, the commander at the uh, naval deal there on, 75th, or on 75. And so he had decided since his son got in trouble that the best thing he could do was make him work at the church. So uh, he was out painting buildings in the back. So I went out and I met Mike. And um, uh, over the time, I'd go out there every day and we'd talk a little more, a little more, and started to develop a relationship with Mike. And one day we were out there and Mike said, you know, when I was in California, he said, I forget what it is, Pastor John or something like that. He said, nobody called him Pastor John, we called him PJ. And uh, he started, rather than referring to me as Pastor Jim, he started referring to me as PJ. That was 1986. And over the time, that has developed and kind of become a nickname that people have known me by. But what's interesting is people who don't know the story or don't know what PJ stands for start saying things like Pastor PJ. And that's kind of, that's kind of redundant and repetitive. Um, Think about that. You'll get it. I know it's Sunday. Um, but it's the idea of, you know, people didn't understand. And so as people start to understand it, 
PJ's Pastor Jim, then they don't call me Pastor PJ, which would be Pastor Pastor Jim. Uh, I say that because it's important for us to understand the beginning, and it's important for us to understand the context. I think the same thing is true when we use the word Christian. You know, if I were to ask people this morning, are you a Christian? There are a lot of people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if I were to delve a little bit farther into a couple of more questions like, um, why do you think you're a Christian? I would get answers like, well, because I'm, I'm, I try to be good. Or I would get answers like, well, I go to church. Or I, I give money. Or I was baptized. Or I was this or I was that. There would be all kinds of reasons. And if I delved a little bit further about what is a Christian to you, I would get answers like, well, you know, I think anyone who's sincere and sincerely tries to follow God is a Christian. And yet, I think you have to go back to the Bible and ask yourself, what does the Bible say about the word Christian? What does it actually mean? What did it, how did it develop and why is it important? Here's what you'll be surprised to know. In the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. And it's not the first way that they describe believers of Jesus Christ. There are actually three time, three different phrases that are used in the Bible of people who follow Jesus Christ. The first one is, um, and it's only used one time, where they talk about the Apostle Paul and they say, Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And so one of the words that was used to describe people who followed Jesus Christ in the first century was, was that idea of Nazarenes. It was more of a political idea. The second word that's used only three times in the New Testament is the word Christian. And actually, you need to understand that when people were called Christians, it was not a great term. It was a term of mockery. Um, Acts tells us that the, 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 the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. And what it means is, you were, what they said is they were trying to describe this group of people who followed Christ. And they said, you guys are like little Jesuses everywhere. You're like little Christ, little anointed ones everywhere. And you guys kind of do the same things that he did. And so they used that to describe this group of people following Jesus Christ. But the word that's used most often, used five times in the New Testament, and it's the first way that they describe these people, was known as people of the way. Um, often it said Felix, who is one of the, one of the Roman guys, basically uh, was a was a student of people of the way. And when, when Paul actually is, is, is in Rome and, and giving a defense, he refers to himself as someone who is associated with people of the way. When they had to describe these, this group of people who were following Jesus in the, in the first century, the term that they use is the idea that um, in Acts chapter 9, if any were found belonging to the way, um, that's how they described them. They didn't call them Christians back then. They called them people of the way. Now, that seems odd to us because we didn't live in the first century. But if you had been living at that time, you would have been in a Greek-Roman world, a Hellenistic world. And in that Greek-Roman world, gods were very, very important. Every city had temples to all kinds of gods. Rome was the predominant power. Rome had... 20 plus gods that they worship, but they had 12 that were very important to them. Um, 12 that they really, really focused on. Uh, they had uh, Jupiter, who was the god of uh, 
sky and thunder. They had Juno, who was the, the, god, the, the protector of women. Uh, they had Minerva, who was the goddess of wisdom and trade and arts and strategy. Neptune, who was the god of fresh water and sea and earthquakes. Venus, who was the goddess of love, beauty, sex, desire, prosperity, wine. Uh, Mars, who was the god of war, the guardian of agriculture. Apollo, who was the god of music, healing, light, health, our truth. Diana, who was the goddess of the hunt, the moon and the birth. Uh, Vulcan, who was the god of fire. Uh, Vesta, the goddess of uh, home and family. Mercury, the god of profile, uh, profit and trade, eloquence, communication, travel. Um, the guide of the dead to the underworld. Um, and then Ceres, the, go- the goddess of agriculture and grain. Now, here's why that's important. If you were in the first century, I don't know if you remember, but when, when things get really dry around here, one of the prayer requests that comes up at church is pray for rain. Well, if you were in the first century, here's what you would have done. In the period of drought, first of all, you would have gone to the temple of Jupiter and you would have made an offering asking Jupiter to open the skies and give us rain. Um, then you would have headed over to the temple of Venus And um, there, the goddess of prosperity, you would have made an offering to Venus and you would have asked her to not just give you rain, but give you a prosperous crop. Then you would have made your way over to Mercury, the temple there of Mercury, the god of of profit and trade, and you would have asked for good prices when the crop came in. And then you would have made your way over to Ceres, the the goddess of agriculture, and you would have asked her to bless your farm. So you would have gone to all these gods and goddesses in hopes to gain their favor so that they would bless you and that they would listen to you. That's the scene that Jesus Christ comes on. And when Jesus Christ is meeting with his disciples and he's looking at these people and he's getting ready to leave, he's getting ready to go to the cross to die for our sins. And they don't understand why Jesus has to leave. And he looks at them in John 14, a passage many of you are familiar with. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And it was Thomas who looked at him, the disciple, and said, Lord, how do we know the way? And Jesus looks at his disciples at that moment and he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I am the only way to God, period. Now that's important because when we use the term Christian, We are really talking about ourselves as people of the way, the truth, the life, the only way, the only truth, the only life. So my question to you this morning is not, are you a Christian? My question to you this morning is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If we look at your life, if you look at your life, can you genuinely say that Jesus Christ is the thing that you are depending on for your eternal destiny? You would be a person of the way. 
it's important that we we struggle with that. Because you see, in the first century, when they looked at these people who were following Jesus, when they studied them, here's what they noticed. They noticed that when they followed Jesus, everything in their life changed. When, When they followed Jesus, they didn't go to the temple of Jupiter anymore. Or Juno, or Mercury, or Sirius. They didn't go there anymore. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, they stopped buying idols. And they stopped buying books of witchcraft. And the silversmiths in the book and the, and the people of Ephesus actually come to the city and say, look, you have to get rid of these people of the way. Because these people of the way, they're hurting our economy. Because why? Because they had decided that Jesus Christ was the only way to God and they wanted nothing to do with the God and goddesses of Rome and Greece. Because they were known as people who followed the only way, the truth, the life. And if you would have come to them and you would have said, let me ask you something. Are there many ways to God? They would have looked at you and said, no, there is only one way. Well, if I go to church, will that be good enough? They would have said no. Well, if I believe in God, is that enough? They would have said no. You see, James says, the devils believe and tremble. You sit here this morning and go, well, I believe in God. that's, That's enough. No, it's not enough. It's not enough because belief is the first step. You have to then act upon that belief. The Bible calls it faith. We would call it trust. Some would call it commitment. It's the idea, it's it's the difference between, uh, many of you have been involved at some point in getting a loan, whether it was for a house or a car or something that you needed to do or a project or whatever else. And you can go through all the paperwork and you can do everything that you need to do, but there comes a point at which a loan officer sits across from a desk and hands you a piece of paper and you have to commit to the terms of that loan. Until you commit to it, you can believe that the bank will give you money. You can believe that it will all work out. But it's not yours until you commit to it. It's not yours until you sign your name. Jesus Christ offers salvation to all of us freely. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not enough to just believe. You have to put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And when they looked at these group of people in the first century, and they had to describe them, they said, you know what's different about those people? They believe there is only one way to God. The way, Jesus Christ. And when they had to describe them, they said, those people, they're people of the way. Later, they called them Christians. Later, they called them people who were like Christ, but they were like Christ because they believed Jesus Christ was the only way to God. So my question to you this morning is, can you describe yourself as a person who is a person of the way? Some would say Christian, but more importantly, it's the fact that you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone. I've been doing this I've been, we've been preaching at the fairgrounds now for 18 years. I've been at Holly Springs for 26 years. I've been doing, I've been in ministry since 1983, 35 years now. 
One day I will take my last breath, my heart will beat for its last time, and I will stand before an almighty God. And on that day, I'm going to be asked why I should enter heaven. It's not going to be because I preached. It's not going to be because I tried to do what's right. It's not going to be because I lived, tried to live my life by the Bible. It's going to go back to a time when I was 16 years old when I realized I needed a Savior. And that I put my faith and trust in Christ. And I said, God, I know, I'm in, I, know I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, to come into my heart, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Because I believe you are the only way to God. At that moment, my eternal destiny was secure. And I have lived my life since that day, believing with all of my heart and acting in such a way that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And I trust that everyone here has that kind of assurance and that you know that there's nothing else that you're hoping or praying that you can be good enough or go to church enough or jump through enough hoops in this thing that many call religion. Because it's not about religion. It's about a personal, intimate, real relationship with Jesus Christ. For me, it started when I was 16 years old. And it is our prayer as a church, it is our prayer as individuals, that that's true of everyone here. In your bulletin program music thing that we have in there we have a whole thing on the back that walks you through what the bible says we've got a deal in the back in the back of the church here a little track that from billy graham association that explains exactly what we're talking about it's a message that has been preached for over two thousand years it started with jesus christ and then a group of people who followed him as the only way to god the message has not changed. And it is our job, it is our task, it is our prayer that everyone understands that message. And that's why we're here. Every Sunday I end with a benediction or just a little statement to wrap up the service. So here's mine this morning. Too many people think that church and Christianity is about religion. Christianity is about a person. Jesus Christ. At its core is a belief that Jesus is the only way to God. It changes and affects every single aspect of your life. Religion says there are many ways to God. Jesus and Christians realize there is only one way to God. That way is through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving your life to us. Thank you for providing a way, Lord, that we could have eternal life, not just when we leave this world, but while we live in this world. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope in situations that are hopeless, for giving us comfort in life circumstances that sometimes seem overwhelming. And Lord, for those of us who are trusting you for our eternal destiny, Lord, may we grow closer to you each day. May people see Jesus Christ in our lives and not just simply religion.
For those who don't have that assurance, Lord, may today be the day that they seek someone out. May they spend some time finding out, Lord, what you really say. And Lord, may we not just be Christians, but may we be very clear that there is only one way. And it is offered to everyone. These things we ask in your name. Amen.